0: You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi, everybody. I'm Abby Eblen with National Fertility Center, and I'm joined with my cohorts, Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hello and Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. And we're here with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And today, we're going to start out by talking a little bit about our experience with the COVID-19 vaccine, because that's what everybody's talking about now. So I hear you guys have both had your first and now second shot. Tell me what you you thought about
1: it. You can go first, Carrie.
2: All right. So I got my first shot two days before Christmas. And it was one of those um, serendipitous kind of experiences called the hospital and found that they had had an opening. so showed up and um, was able to actually I overheard that somebody like a couple other people had not been able to show and so said like hey I've got got a couple of ideas of people who could come in. And they said, well, can they come right away? And I'm like, yes, both of my partners will drop everything that they are doing right now to come get this vaccine. So um, it was really fortunate in that both of my partners were able to get vaccinated the same day because they literally put everything on hold for a half an hour to come down to the hospital and get it. Um, that's how important this vaccine is to, to us. So so after the first one, I was like, I don't know, maybe a little bit tired, maybe a little headachy for about 48 hours. But It was also the two days before Christmas, and I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so I could very easily blame all those symptoms on parenthood. Um, I blame them on the vaccine because really, I could. But it's fair to say that it could have been either just the stress of the season versus the vaccine. And then I got my second one on uh, just a couple days ago, and I was... About 15 hours or so after I got it, I woke up at 2 a.m. and had really significant chills and shaking and was achy. Um, pulled out, I have a big heating pad because I'm a big baby. Um, and I, <laughs> I got it for Christmas um, and slept on that and was achy for the next day. But by 6 p.m. the next day, I was good to go. So, you know, it was. It was mostly muscle aches. Um, I didn't have the shaking. I never had a fever. Um, It was just super achy. Took uh, a leave and went from there. How about you, Susan?
1: Yeah, so kind of similar situation. I wasn't anticipating being able to get my vaccine as soon as I did. But, um, my best friend from college actually works for the hospital system that I mainly operate at. And, um, she's a pharmacist and she's like, Hey, there's openings. Here's the link. And, um, so I signed up and I got mine a few days before Christmas as well. And my first injection, I I would compare it to like when you get your flu shot or go get a tetanus injection, you know, my arm was sore for a couple of days and that type of thing. And, and I was tired but I wasn't tired like all day long tired it was kind of like when six o'clock happened I felt like it was 10 (laughs) o'clock it was just like all of a sudden I'm tired you know and that went on for a couple of days again part of the season um so again I want to blame it on the vaccine Um, and then going into my second vaccine, honestly, I kind of fell into the trap that I tell everybody not to do. I was online and I was reading what other people were posting on social media and I really got freaked out (laughs) because I was, I, you know, I'm like, like, All of us out there listening, you know, we're all busy. We don't have time to not feel good and everything like that. It's like, but I have this and this and this and this planned. And, you know, with the vaccine, it's like you've got, you ideally should do it at the appropriate interval. Um, And and I'm like, okay, I've just got to make it happen. And, And I showed up for my vaccine. And I did that injection, and that one didn't hurt me at all, which was awesome. And I got mine at about 7 30 in the morning. And that evening, I went to bed early. I went to bed about eight o'clock because I was like, you know, I just want to get some rest and treat my body nicely and everything like that. And from about 11 p.m. until 3 a.m., I didn't feel good. So when I feel, get sick, like my skin hurts, and I was kind of like, achy and stuff like that and tossed and turned. Um I w- I did take Tylenol kind of throughout this time period. And then at 3 a.m I woke up and I was drenching wet and sweat. And I was like, hmm, maybe you had a fever. And then I fell back asleep and slept great after that. And um I'd say a little more tired than normal, but I think, you know, the four hours of misery I I actually appreciated because it made me feel like, oh, I'm actually getting the immune response. Um But after that, it hasn't been bad. What about you, Abby? Now, Abby, did you ever test positive for COVID previously? Mm -mm. No,
0: I never did. You were quarantined
1: a few times. Yeah, I I
0: thought I might have it, but yeah, I never had antibodies or anything. And so so I got the first vaccine and I felt nothing. I mean, my arm was a little tiny bit sore, but I mean, probably like you said, if I get a shot for the flu in my arm, it feels as bad, if not worse than that. I felt nothing. In fact, I thought, gosh, if I was in a vaccine trial right now, I would think... that I didn't even get the vaccine, that I got the, the placebo. placebo. Yeah. And so, I mean, I felt fine. I didn't even think anything about it. Well, then I got called back to do the second one. And our HCA hospital system has been great about notifying us when we're eligible and when, you know, that opens up that you can come in. And they've just been really good with that. But anyway, I showed up and I I, I got to the hospital early, around 630, so I could get it done before I started to work. And so went to work no problems, had no issues. Got home at about 6.30. I was kind of sitting down to watch the news and I moved my arm and I'm like, ow, my arm, it really hurts. And I'm like, oh yeah, I got the vaccine. Well, then I moved my other arm and I'm like, oh man, it really hurts too. So I had pretty significant muscle aches and just almost at the same time just started feeling progressively just awful, just yucky and achy. Mm. Went and checked my temperature and it was 100.8, not 108, but 100.8, but I felt really lousy. So I took Tylenol within a really short time. It kind of knocked it out and I felt fine the rest of the night. And then I woke up about five in the morning and I knew I had a fever just based on the way I felt. And I thought, I'm just going to get up and check and see what it is. So it was like 100.4 or something like that. Took Tylenol, after that, I never had any problems again. So um, it was really pretty minor for me. Both times I took Tylenol and I had symptoms and it just knocked them right out. But it did make me feel reassured that I'd actually gotten the vaccine when I had that response because I knew it was an immune response and it made me feel like, okay, now I'm protected. So, but, you know, overall, it wasn't a bad experience at all, I don't think. My husband
2: got off scot-free after that second shot. He had no symptoms besides a kind of
0: sore arm. Yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre how people are so different. Yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, kind of leading into our question of the day, uh, you know, as as we all know from our own clinics, everybody's asking about the vaccine. Um, our question of the day today says, hi, I'm a nurse with our local health department and will soon be working COVID-19 vaccine clinics. I currently, I, I'm currently undergoing fertility treatments and have a frozen embryo transfer plan for January. I've already started gonal F injections. I have been offered the vaccine and am still unsure of which direction to go. Any advice? What are your thoughts, ladies? I was
0: just going to say, I, I feel pretty strongly that, you know, from the data that we know, and granted, it's not a lot, but what we do know, it looks like it's a pretty benign vaccine that, you know, as we talked about in the previous episode, you get the vaccine, your body makes this this protein you develop antibodies and then that goes away and so we don't think it's teratogenic and the American Society for Reproductive Mer- Medicine and the American College of OBGYN which are the governing bodies that re- we really listen to really came out with what I think for them was a pretty strong statement saying that they really think it's fine for pregnant women to take um, so I'm really encouraging my patients to get it I think it's better than the alternative of what could happen you know if you get covid-19 um, you know, without getting the vaccine, and particularly for somebody like you or like our listener who's on the front lines and is seeing COVID patients every single day. I think I would really encourage her to get it. What about you, Carrie? So I
2: would agree as well. And, and I think it bears repeating some of the really pertinent facts about this, where a COVID infection in pregnancy makes you three to five times more likely to end up in the hospital on a ventilator or on heart lung bypass or dead. Um, and then the second thing to remember is that this vaccine is different in a really positive way from previous methods that they use to make previous vaccines. Which in a prior vaccine, what they did is they would take the actual virus, and that I would, and they would either weaken it or inactivate it, but they would still give you the live virus. Like they would throw this dead dead virus body at you <laughs> and say, "Look at it," and you just figure out how you're going to deal with that now. Um, whereas with this vaccine. The first shot is handing you a stack of papers that's an instructions, a set of instructions that say, this is how you make the body. The second shot is, this is your practice session of, you know, really ramp up and and gear up on your your antibodies so that when you see it in the real world, you can deal with it. And, And the way that I think about it is, it's going to a kickboxing class for the first time. You spend the first little part of class watching the instructor throw kicks and punches and the second part, you get up and you practice throwing kicks and punches and you're going to feel it because... And we, and we did feel it,
0: right? When we got our vaccine? Yeah.
2: <laughs> with any exercise, you, you feel it. Um, and that, but that means that when you get mugged in the street, you can deal with it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm still in that analogy, Carrie. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That is great. Carrie is the queen of analogies. She is, man. I love her analogies. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you guys. I mean, I, I do understand getting vaccinated is a very personal decision and people need to weigh their risks and benefits. And, um, but in general for, our group of people that we treat, these are people who are in general, you know, interacting with other people and, you know, they're out there having busy lives and, and, you know, at at some point, you know, you're, you're going to become immune. Um, you know, there's a, there's a saying in medicine that, and this is kind of sad, but like all surgical bleeding stops. So either we can stop it or it stops on its own. Um, I think COVID-19 is, going to be you're going to become immune one way or the other and whether you want to take the risk of getting the disease or you want to take the risk of getting the vaccine um you know to me i think the vaccine is a is a it's it's a great great opportunity <laughs> to keep yourself safe so
2: And even during a transfer cycle, I mean, we want to pay attention to the fever aspect of it, hop on the Tylenol as soon as you can to prevent and slow down a fever. But there's really, especially for someone who's a frontline worker at a COVID vaccine clinic where everybody thinks that they are negative when they come to get that shot and not everyone is going to be negative for COVID. Like There are going to be some people who have asymptomatic or low symptomatic infections and um, and this patient in particular is at risk for that. And mm-hmm. and I want her to get sick in the midst of it. So I would, I would be inclined to say, get the vaccine because you, you have a higher risk. And that's true of really all frontline workers, everyone who interacts with someone without a mask or with people who are actively sick or could be actively sick, because not everyone will tell you that they don't feel good. And that's, that's unfortunate, but it's very much true, and I would want to get, have her get vaccinated.
0: Okay, so on that note, we are going to start with our program today, and what we'd like to talk about is we'd like to share our insights on what we really think makes patients successful because, you know, there's factors that you can't control, but there's some that you can control, and I think, I think we're going to talk a little bit about both physical aspects, lifestyle aspects that you can control, and also really mental and emotional aspects that you can control as well, too. So I think think hopefully this will be helpful information for you because part of your fertility, you really can control. Part of it you can't, but part you can. So Carrie, what do you think are some aspects of patients that, when you see them, when they walk through your door, you go, this patient's going to be pregnant one way or another.
2: So talking about some of the more um, medical, physical type things, if I have someone who is young who walks through the door and by that, and I I don't want to be ageist or anything like that, but I would say really anybody who's under the age of 35 who walks through the door, especially if they've got a diagnosis of PCOS, they're going to get pregnant. I mean, sometimes it's going to take more intervention and more technology, but- they're really likely to get pregnant.
0: If that's their only problem, right? So if they don't have a lot of other things going on,
2: exactly, exactly. What about you, Susan?
1: So, um, kind of as a as a general concept, I I like patients to understand that a lot of what we do is actually limited by what the patient desires to do. Okay, um, and so if somebody walks in my office and says. I can and I'm willing to do whatever treatment is necessary to help me achieve pregnancy. There's a lot of stuff we can do. I mean, there, there, there are all kinds of things we can do. And granted, most of the time, we don't have to go to those very extensive routes. Um, but if, if people come in with um, their, their personal beliefs and guidelines are like, I can only do blank that that's where you're you're kind of tying my hands behind my back a little bit i mean i'm i'm really i'm, I'm we are all really good at what we do um and that's kind of even when people talk about success rates, it's like, oh, what are the success rates of this? And I, I try to explain, you know, realize like you're talking about the PCOS patient who, you know, ideally if we can get them to ovulate and get egg and sperm together, we're probably going to be successful. Um, somebody who, so to kind of in a nutshell,
0: somebody who doesn't limit themselves, somebody who's open to what you think is the best thing to do. Yes. Because you're looking out for their best interests, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. If the goal is a baby, and not a baby through blank, <laughs> that that makes us a, a, a lot more able to achieve our goal.
0: What do you mean by baby through blank? Explain that.
1: Well, you know, sometimes we have patients who come in who are like, you know, I am not willing to do insemination. Well, if we have male factor and we can't do insemination, I, I can't address that, that factor, okay? Or somebody who says, I... Won't do IVF, or I won't do donor egg, or I won't do gestational carrier. Grant, most people don't need those things, but a lot of people do. And so, you know, there are different treatments that address certain ailments, and whether it's financial, ethical, moral, religious, what, whatever your personal guidelines are, we want to do what's the right thing for you. But understand that sometimes those guidelines are are going to hamper your potential chances of success, which it's a very personal decision. And, and I absolutely respect that, but there, there has to be the understanding that, that that can be a limit to your personal care.
0: So kind of along the same lines as that, but thinking more about the mental aspect of that from the patient perspective, the thing that I've seen over the years that I, when I find this in a patient, I think this person's going to be successful one way or another. When I see somebody who comes in and sometimes it'll just amaze me at how much bad, or not bad information, but bad news I have to give them. Like they'll do something and it doesn't work, or the sperm count's low and we can't get it up. And just, it seems like for some patients, I just keep giving them bad news and more bad news and more bad news and more bad news. And I remember one patient in particular who just, every time I gave her bad news, she's like, well, okay, Dr. Evelyn, what do I do? What do I need to do next? And I mean, no matter what I told her, she just kept saying, okay, well, what's the next step? What do we need to do next? And she ultimately ended up getting pregnant using donated eggs and sperm from her husband. But kind of like Susan said a minute ago, her goal was a baby. And, you know, I realize for everybody who walks through the door, you know, we all want to have a baby who's, who's a s- small version of ourselves. You know, that's just a natural thing. You want to have a baby that's from your egg and your husband's sperm, but then if the time comes where you just see that that's not going to be possible to happen, you sort of have to make a decision. How important is, is it for me and my husband to raise a child together that may only be ge- genetically linked to one of us or may not be genetically linked to other, the, or either of us versus how important is, is to have a baby that's biologically my own. And for some people, that's really important and they, that's where they stop. For some people, they say, I want a baby no matter what. And so they're willing to do things like, using donated eggs or embryos or something like that.
1: I think what you say about that kind of psychological aspect is very true. I mean, we all see patients who are very optimistic and we all see patients who are relatively pessimistic and and it's, and it's very, we understand and, you know, some of us here have, have been through it ourselves and, going through fertility testing and treatment, it's hard. It's hard emotionally. I mean, I remember getting off the phone with the nurse and crying and like been there, been there. I much prefer being the doctor than the patient. (laughs) Me too, too, Susan. (laughs) But, um, you know, when, when I have a patient who is certain it's not going to work. it it is tangibly harder to get that patient pregnant. And I, I've even had patients that I'm like, I need you to take a few months and get in a good place because that good place I, and I mean, who knows why that good place helps? <laughs> whether it's biochemically or or you know what whatever it is, but having, a, a positive outlook and being like, this is going to work mentally. It, it, it does give us a running start and, and it does help. I think the
2: patients who are able to not take it personally do better because, and, and I see this a lot, um, uh, both in men and women when, you know, when you tell a guy, I'm really sorry, your sperm count is extraordinarily low. And it's because your testicles are failing you know they have not failed but but they are not producing what they what I would normally expect to see or when I tell a woman you're not ovulating or your age is whatever. the people who are able to not take that personally and just say, all right, what do we do next?" they tend to do better because the people who take it personally end up going in a spiral much of the time that's harder to pull out of and and the people who are just like, all right, well, I am here where I am. And what's next? Um, they tend to do better because they're more able to move through the various stages. Even if we start with the you know, the easy kilometer, letrozole timed intercourse cycles, and, and we ultimately have to escalate all the way to IVF, for example, they're able to more easily just move through those steps
0: to get and what I think. I'm- I think on that same note, you said we a lot. I think some patients come into IVF or to fertility treatment and they think of it as me against everybody else. Mm-hmm. Some people come into it and think about, I'm the patient, you're the doctor, the nurses, we're a team. And it's interesting how some people come in just really angry. And again, I understand I've been there too, and they're angry and they want to they take their anger out on somebody and they take it out on sometimes our fertility nurses sometimes our staff, sometimes the physicians. And, you know, I I try and turn around their perspective and go, you know, this is something we're in this together. We're a team here and we want to work together. We're all for the same thing. We're trying to help you. And even though we may be giving you information you don't want to hear, it's all because we're trying to work toward, you know, the same goal, basically.
1: I tell patients all the time that fertility is a team sport. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Whether it's, it's the partners the individuals it's the nurses it's the doctors it's the andrologists it's our embryologists it's all of us working together because if if any of those pieces aren't working well that's where you end up having having problems on on so many levels and you know and, and that's part of the reason why i also think it's you know if somebody's interested in a second opinion or something like that that that's also a great thing because sometimes you're going to click you know you're going to click with your doctor and their team and sometimes that click isn't going to be there and that's okay that's okay you know there's there's so there's there's lots of opportunities for you to find kind of the right match to make cuz it fertility is definitely a journey and you want to make that journey with the team that kind of nurtures and and, and can deliver what you personally need.
0: Yeah, and, you know, just if you think about it from a selfish perspective, why would you want to attack the people that are trying to help you? You know, we're, we're the ones that are trying to figure out what the problems are and, and get around them. And I think sometimes just bringing up issues that maybe are really stressful to you that maybe we think may have an impact on your fertility. Like Carrie, can you give some examples of things that, you know, like maybe we have to bring up their kind of touchy subjects with patients in regard to their fertility? Wait. Wait is the that... <laughs> mm. wait, wait, and wait, yes.
2: Weight, weight and wait are the number one, two, three, all the way through 10 reasons where people get touchy. I mean, I can I can think of a patient who she was a really phenomenal setup to get pregnant. I mean, she was about 25, 26 years old. She had PCOS. Um She unfortunately didn't respond to some of the easy treatments and we ultimately had to go to IVF, but, um, but weight was an issue there. And when I brought that up, she, she got really angry at me and, um, and it's, it's really and truly nothing personal. Um, it's just, uh, okay, I need to do, I need to do whatever I can by you to get you where you want to be. And you may start ovulating on your own. With weight loss, with increased exercise, uh, even in even without the presence of weight loss, and um, and certainly all of us have had patients who have had quite a bit of weight to lose. Who, when they lost it, because we did an episode on this a couple months ago, we did, yeah, they lost it. They they got pregnant on their own. And while I love to be helpful, it's even better when you don't need me. And and that's that is a really touchy subject.
1: And I would say even weight in the opposite direction can be just as fragile of, of a subject so when we have our marathoners and it, you know intense exercisers and, and and those types of things so not only is it being overweight but underweight like it that is that is a hard thing it's hard for us to talk about because we know that people are very sensitive about it and it's hard for people to be receptive to it but remember that we are, we are part of we we want to help you and sometimes helping you is is kind of pointing out the things that seem innocuous that seem like well you know i know so and so who's just like me and they had no problem but the problem is we do have a problem so we need to a lot of fertility i say is dotting i's and crossing t's it's maximizing this maximizing that maximizing this maximizing that there's Um, And I'm not sure what the Latin phrase is. In medicine, there's some Latin phrase that says, you know, if you can essentially blame things on one thing, that's probably what the one thing is. I believe that's (laughs) true in medicine, except for fertility. (laughs) And for us, it's, we often have multiple little things that we have to maximize. And when we maximize those, that's when we get... To have our success. And so, um, again, coming back to this is a team sport, you know, we're, we're doing that part, but sometimes there's, there's a personal part that, that you may have to um, work on that, that may be a, a, a bit challenging.
0: Well, and I think it goes back to how people can receive criticism. Some people receive it and feel like it's a personal assault or attack on them. Some people receive criticism and look at it as a positive. Well, this, these are things that I can work on myself that will help my fertility. And it is truly documented. Sometimes you only have to lose 10 or 15 pounds, and that can make a huge difference in your ability to ovulate and ultimately get pregnant. So I think, you know, I think particularly if you're somebody that has a hard time receiving criticism, you sort of have to look frame it in a different way and think of it as a positive and not as an assault and not as something that we're trying to criticize about you, but something that we are looking at objectively that we will think, you know, that we think makes a big difference. And I would also add smoking and age into that. Now age, you can't really change, (laughs) but the reason we bring up age is because we want you to have the right perspective on what we really think your chances are with say, using your own eggs, trying to get pregnant. It's not, we're trying to criticize you or make you feel bad about your age and with smoking we know smoking definitely affects fertility it, it's bad for your eggs and so the sooner you can quit smoking the better and you know if you can't hear it from us who can you hear it from you know
1: absolutely we're we're here to kind of tell you honestly what we see are are the the things we need to overcome. And then together, and, and that's another thing is realize even when you're doing these things, if if you need support or encouragement, we are here for you. Your nurses are here for you. We have psychologists and psychiatrists and other nutritionists and different people who can help support you as as you're going through that process.
0: Any final thoughts, Carrie? Any other things that we didn't bring up that you think are important to mention?
2: I think we've hit most of the really big ones. I think, you know, for me, a lot of the most successful patients come down to who is resilient enough to just keep coming back because those many times are the patients who get what they want and, you know, embrace the suck uh, at times and just, you know, just do it. It's a team
0: sport. We'll get there vast majority of the time. Yeah, it always amazes at me when I really start looking back at the number of people that we may only see one or two times and then they just leave and we never see them again. And I think it's just that word resilience is really a really good word. I think that's really something important to work on if you're in the middle of your fertility journey, because I think it'll be really helpful for you in the long run. So to our audience, thanks for listening and tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. We'd really love to hear from you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you have any questions, please let us
2: know. We would be happy to answer them on the air. And the more embarrassing, the
0: better.
1: We'll see y'all soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.